Have you ever had someone make a promise to you and then they just didn't come through? I think the older you get, the more experiences you have where you recognize that people let you down sometimes. But when you're younger, promises mean something. It doesn't even occur to you when you're a kid that someone could renege on their promise. That's why kids have pinky promises. You would never go back on a pinky promise. You wouldn't even think of it. But the first time that someone promises you something big and they don't come through, it rocks you. It shakes the foundation of everything you know. When I was about 15 years old, I was looking for my first real job. Now, I had a paper route and at 13, I had a job at Becker's. Does anyone remember Becker's convenience stores? Well, I had a job there where I worked one hour every night. And my job was to come in during the evening, gather up all the empty milk containers that were brought back and sort them, take out the garbage, sweep the floors, and any other stocking that needed to be done. But the problem was, was my paycheck was not as high as the amount of baseball cards I was buying, so I needed something more. So a friend of mine had a relative that owned a pizza pizza by my house. And he told me that he talked to his uncle and they needed help. And all I had to do was go down to the pizza place with my resume and he promises I will get the job. He promised, so what could go wrong? I mean, I was already counting the amount of money I would make by working more than an hour a day. So I went down to Pizza Pizza with my resume in hand and I was quite confident. And for the most, most part, one of the reasons I was so confident was what well, my friend promised that I would get the job. So I had the interview and it went really well. Well, so well in fact, that the person that was interviewing me asked me for my shirt size for the uniform. And then he corrected himself and said, well, I better not get too far ahead of myself. I do have one other person that I have to interview. And he winked at me. I was like, okay, that's weird, but okay. So I went home and I told my parents that I got a new job. I mean, I was a shoe-in. The interview went really, really well. And the interviewer gave, like, the interviewer almost gave me my uniform right there at the interview. Plus, I had my friend's promise. What could go wrong? Except as you've already probably guessed, I didn't get the job. They gave it to the other person they interviewed. What? I didn't understand it. Like it went so well. And my friend promised. Now it was likely something that was out of his control. Maybe they hired an, a relative or the stronger possibility is that the other candidate was just more experienced, more qualified. But I was in shock. So much for your promise. So much for trusting you again. And I'm over it, really, I am. But as you get older, you have, you collect an array of stories of people letting you down. And it can be something frivolous, like someone promised you an item on Kijiji, and when you went to buy it, they upped the price or sold it to someone else. And you start to think, what's wrong with society? But the person, the closer the person is to you, the more it stings. Because maybe it was a friendship. And they said they would always have your back. But then you found out the source of the gossip that's going around about you was actually them. And when it gets closer, it hurts more. Because maybe a family member promised you something and they didn't come through. Or maybe you stood at an altar and on your wedding day, you were promised that until death do you part. But the problem is you're alive and they've parted. We try not to get cynical, but then we begin to justify it that, well, people always let you down. But what about when it's God that seems to have let you down? That it's God that hasn't kept up his end of the promises he's made. 
Well, today we're in part two of our series, The Waymaker. And last week, we looked at God as the miracle worker. And if you missed last week, go, go to our Facebook feed or YouTube channel and watch it later. He's a miracle worker, but he's also a promise keeper. And I want to look at a story, and we're going to set it up by heading over to 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you have a Bible, you can flip there. Or if you'd rather use a Bible app, that's great too. So pull out your iPhone or your iPad or, or you just need your eyeballs because we're going to have it right here on the screen. And we're going to look at the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah was the prophet in the Old Testament and he was an understudy to the greatest prophet of the Bible, Elijah. Elijah, his mentor, did some incredible things like calling fire down from heaven and stopping the rain, raising people from the dead. And Elijah watches all of this and declares that he wants the anointing that Elijah had in his life. And in fact, he wants double. He wants a double portion. And what we see is that the Bible records twice as many miracles in the life of Elijah than, his, than the older Elijah. But for much of Elijah's life is spent trying to step out of his famous mentor's shadow. Now we're going to look at a couple stories in 2 Kings chapter 4. The first one I'm going to summarize real quick. And then the second one we're going to read through and go further into depth. But the chapter starts with seven verses that tell the story of a woman who's just lost her husband. And at that time in history, a woman's place in society and her earning potential were tightly tied to her spouse. So now she finds herself in this spot where her husband is dead, but so is her source of income. It's in a bad place. And she's desperate. And in that desperate need, she throws herself at Elijah's feet. And she tells him, I need a miracle. Or I'm going to starve. To end, and they, they'll make, make things worse, my two boys are going to be sold off as slaves. So Elijah says to her, what do you have? And she says, all I have is a little bit of olive oil. So he says, gather the olive oil, get as many jars as you can, check on your neighbors, get as many as you can, lock yourself in and start pouring. And well, God performs this miracle, much like last week's miracle, and the oil multiplies to the point that she has everything she needs plus enough to sell and live on. This whole story begins with a woman that is desperate in need. Now the story that immediately follows after is one that tells of a woman that has the opposite situation. She has no needs. She's well off and she needs nothing. And people with a lot of money tend to feel like they don't need anything, especially not God. Again, we're looking at chapter two, or 2 Kings chapter four, starting in verse eight. Here we go. Verse eight says this. One day, Elijah went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. She urged him. You ever been urged to eat at someone's house? And if you're honest, you were a little nervous about what the food would be that was served there. I remember being on a missions trip as a teen in a native reserve in Northern Quebec. And on the first night they threw a large traditional banquet for the guests of honor, which was our youth group. And in this traditional banquet, there were foods that, well, let's just say, I've never thought about eating before, like moose brain. And they urged us to eat. Now, some of the items were very good, but some of them you just kind of moved around your plate and you tried to hide them under some things. Well, this woman urged Elijah to eat, but she must have been a good cook because it says, so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Verse 9 says, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Verse 10 says, let's make a small room on the roof and put it in it 
Put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So she decides that she wants to honor him. And they make a trip to HomeSense and grab a whole bunch of things and convert the spot on the roof for him so that when he passes through town, he can stay there. Verse 11 says, One day when Elijah came, he went up to his room and lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shumanite. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elijah said to him, Tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Now let's pause there for a moment. I believe this gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. Some of us see God as this genie where we, we go to prayer and genie God will start granting our wishes. Or we put our faith in God with this expectation that we'll get something in return. Like, I'll follow you, God, but there's got to be something in it for me. This is so dangerous because it puts you in the position of the master and it's like God works for you. Now, the other side that's just as dangerous is we see God as the enforcer, just watching and waiting for us to slip up so he can punish us. Now, neither of these are true because God is more like a loving parent who wants the best for us at all times. He wants us to raise our standard of how we live, but he also wants to bless us. And so this woman honors Elijah with no expectation of return. And as a result, Elijah wants to bless her. And he says, can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And watch what she says. I have a home among my own people. And she's basically saying, look around. I have everything anyone would want. I have a house. I have a husband that loves and provides. I have clothing, friends, a BMW in the driveway. All my needs are met. But Elijah wasn't convinced that she truly had it all. Verse 14 says, what can be done for her? Elijah asks. He's talking to Gehazi. Gehazi says, well, she has no son and her husband is old. His servant Gehazi notices that there's no toys around the house. There's no squeals of delight in the backyard. And it, well, her husband seems that he's past those years of giving her a child. This was a big deal back in this, this time in, the, in their culture. Children were seen as a blessing from God. And if you didn't have children, the, the assumption that was made was that God had cursed you for something you or your family line had done. Verse 15 says, Then Elijah, Elijah said to her, Call her. So he called her. And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elijah said, you will hold a son in your arms. Now imagine this. If this was your lifelong dream was to have a child, it was your personal desire. This statement from God would have you jumping around excited. But look what he says. Oh, sorry. Look what she says. She says this. No, no, my Lord. She objected. Please, man of God, please. Don't mislead your servant. We know she's well off. We know that if, there was, if it was a matter of money and, and, and there, was, there was a way that she could have a child by seeking a medical treatment or something, she has the resources to do it. So at this point, she's likely tried everything and her husband, is, is, he's old now. So this is something that she's just taken and put away in a box and packed away for good. She's buried this hope. She's buried this pain. And she's not about to dig it up again. However, verse 17 says, But the woman became pregnant. And the next year about that time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. Now this is a great spot to end the message. 
Because we, if we end it here, you walk away with a message that God makes you promises. And he comes through even better than you thought. And at this point, you could high-five people all around you. We could cut into the worship portion. And you could have a dance party right there in your living room, in your pajamas. That's a happy message. But to be responsible, we should read on. Verse 18 says, The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. And his father told his servant, Carry him to his mother. Now, if you have kids, you know. Sometimes they're, they can be a little dramatic. So he says to the servant, Look, i got a lot to do. Take, it, take him to his mom. She can deal with him. Now, if the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. Whoa. Hold off the dance party. The blessing that God has given her is gone. He sat her on his, her lap until noon and then he died. And at noon, the sun's at the highest place of the day, but this woman's at the lowest place in her life. At noon, the sun will not shine brighter, but for this woman, there could not be a darker place. And then he died. What do you do when it seems like God's plan or God's promise has died? Because if it's you or me and we're in her spot, we come to this place of deep mourning and we make a funeral arrangements. But this woman gathers up her courage and faith and she plans for a miracle. She's on a mission. Because verse 21 says, She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. And she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. Like I said, she's on a mission. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man, to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when, she saw, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord says? It's in this moment where, where some of us get when we're in this pain. And we start looking at God and we ask these questions. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? And Elijah said to Gehazi, tuck your coat into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Now this was something he had seen Elijah, his mentor, do before. Verse 30 says, But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. And it's in this moment Elijah realizes this is not a woman worth messing with. And he changes his mind. So he got up and he followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and told him, The boy is not awakened. When Elijah reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. For this woman, her son is lying there. 
in a room that she has blessed Elijah with. And she has this need that she didn't expect from a promise that she didn't expect. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and they prayed to the Lord. Now, when you read this, you're expecting him to say a profound prayer and the boy just rises. But this is where it gets super weird. Verse 34, then he got on the bed, lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Okay, imagine this for a second. You've been in a terrible accident and you've been transported to the emergency room. And as you regain consciousness, there's a doctor lying on top of you, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. You're like, get off me. Why, why does he do this? I looked at some Bible commentaries and to get an answer, some, some answer that maybe the mouth to mouth represented God breathing new life into the boy and eye to eye saw it was him seeing his future. But it's all still a little bit weird. But it says as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. And Elijah turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now there's this ancient oral tradition amongst Jewish people that when the first man, Adam, came to life, God breathed into him and he sneezed seven times. And this is what happens to the boy. He sneezed seven times and he comes to life. Verse 36 is Elijah summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And she took her son and went out. See, in the end, God fulfills his promise, but not how she would ever expect it or what would ever would want to go through. This woman who seems to have no needs, God chooses to bless her with a son. But when she's presented with, a, with the promise, her first response is to object. We do this a lot. We pray, God, help our situation. But we don't believe it. We pray it, but don't always believe it. We say things like, well, I'll never get out of this financial mess. Or my marriage can't be, can't be fixed. I will always be in this dead-end job. Don't get my hopes up. But this story shows us that God has the ability to overrule our objections. Over the past number of years, I've become a football fan. My wife was probably thinking, great, another sport that you like to watch. But in the NFL, if a referee sees a penalty occur on the field, he grabs a yellow flag and he throws it onto the field. And so maybe it's like a play where one of the players grabs the other player by the face mask, which, which is an illegal play. And when they see this happen, they toss a yellow, yellow flag onto the field. This lets everyone on the field know that despite what just happened, there's a penalty on the play. Now, a few years ago, the NFL made a change because referees were getting the calls wrong a little too often. So they created this system when the, where the coaches could challenge the call of the referee by throwing their own red flag onto the field. And they get two of these challenges per game. And when they, when they challenge, the play is now reviewed by instant replay. So essentially what the coaches are saying is I would like this play to be looked at from a different perspective. I would like to go up to the replay booth and have them look at it from up there. Well, why does that matter to you? Because we have a God that can see our story from a different perspective and he can overrule our objections. He has a different vantage point on our life. What if we chose to make a decision and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. 
We, we often think that if we just have more faith, God will respond. But faith isn't about you. It's all about God. Faith is when the sun is at the highest point and you are at your lowest. Faith is when the sun is its brightest and you see nothing but darkness. And in those moments, when you're able to say to God, I choose to trust you. I trust that you have a higher perspective on my life than I do. I trust that you have the ability to overrule my objections. That's faith. Because he really is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. And next week, we'll look at how he's the light in the darkness. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the way maker. I thank you that your promises never come up void. I thank you that in the middle of uh, the darkness, in the middle of, of just chaos, God, that it may seem at times that you're not there. It may seem at times that you're not listening. But God, I am so thankful that I can put a trust, my trust in a God that is always working in the background, who's always up to something. God, that you have made a, you've made promises that you will always fulfill. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each of us that when we're struggling, and a lot of us are struggling right now, I pray that when we're struggling and we're in our darkest place or, or, or we're, we're in a spot where we just, we're not sure what's next, God, that we, I pray that we would put our trust in you. I pray we'd put our faith in you and know that you are making a way when it seems like there is none and that your promises you always keep, even if it doesn't look like the way we would do it. So, God, I pray blessing on each person that's listening today. And I pray that uh, you would make a way for them. Amen.